As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to Around the Block at Haas, a Here at Haas podcast focused on all things blockchain around all of Berkeley. We're chatting with Haasies, professors, blockchain, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your executive producer and co-host, Paulina Lee. And I'm your co-host, Paul Brzezik. I'm passionate about blockchain and super excited to introduce those around campus who are innovating in the crypto space. Hi, everybody. It's my pleasure to introduce James Dye, who's a third-year EEC student, undergrad, who's also part of FAB. So right off the bat, throughout two acronyms. James, I hope you can help me define EECS and also BAB. And as I understand, this is your fourth semester in BAB. As an elder BAB member, maybe you can explain a little bit of the history and how it's changed over the last couple of years. Yeah, so nice to meet you guys. Thanks for uh, taking me here. My name is James. I'm a junior studying electrical engineering and computer science. And honestly, since I was a kid, really interested in technology, just like learning new things. So one of these things that I just happened to come across in my freshman year was blockchain. And blockchain at Berkeley, which is BAB, is a leading student organization in the blockchain space in general. And we've been doing a lot of really cool external projects and we're trying to be as crypto native as possible, learning everything about the blockchain space and doing really cool stuff. That's great. And I'm always curious, what made you so interested in blockchain? There's all sorts of different technologies coming up in the world, AR, VR, AI, ML, all the acronyms. What pulled you to blockchain? Yeah, honestly, whenever I first heard of blockchain, I thought it was one huge scam. And I think a lot of people probably think fairly similarly today because blockchain is really like tightly connected to the idea of cryptocurrencies and like money making and stuff like that. But really the core idea of blockchain is now I can decentralize things. So I can now have a smart contract that can run code and that can execute transactions. So that was a real thing that brought me into blockchain was like this idea of a smart contract. Now I can actually execute business transactions in a decentralized manner and then get around all of these centralized institutions that often just become a middleman and cut into transaction costs. So that's honestly why I was really interested in blockchain. So maybe if you can give a definition of what is DeFi and that will follow into an additional term of what is an AMM. So DeFi is this idea of like decentralized finance. So today, a lot of institutions really just work on a bank level, like in traditional finance. And so a lot of people are underbanked and a lot of people just don't have access to financial loans and things like that. So DeFi is building all the things that exist in traditional finance, like lending, borrowing, and everything like that, building it in a decentralized protocol manner, like building a governance structure around it to govern how these protocols work. AMMs are basically one of these protocols. Uniswap is an AMM that basically allows you to take like a token and then convert it to a different token. So if I have like an Ethereum, I can convert it to DAI or vice versa. And this AMM is really just a way to decentralize what is existing today as a traditional market maker, like a NICE or like NASDAQ, where often order flow goes from Robinhood. A huge amount of fees are taken. And so it's just a way to level out the playing field for the common person. Does AM stand for anything in particular? It stands for automated market maker. Got it. And you've been involved in BAB or blockchain at Berkeley for a few semesters now. What got you interested in the student org and what have you done in your four semesters in the club? 
So I first started off as a dev consultant. So really just like learning how to build on the blockchain. So this web three integrations, how do I build a full stack like D app? Then I moved on to more of like a PM role. So I've been overseeing one of our projects now. And what's really interesting to me is this idea of integrating traditional finance with DeFi. That's what we're doing with our Adapar project that me and Paul are leading is taking this idea of alternative investments and encoding it on a blockchain to radically increase transparency in this radical opaque space. And I think other things are really interesting, like DeFi governance. Also been sitting in on just a bunch of like conversations about AMMs. So it's just a really exciting place to be and just learn. Curious to understand better the process, how blockchain at Berkeley as a club is going out there and getting clients. If you can explain what that recruiting process is, how did it come about that you're now leading a blockchain project through BAB, which is tens of thousands of dollars? Yeah. We have an external consulting department within BAB where we're basically a source around like three projects every semester. In the past, we've worked with Fortune 500 companies and really large companies. More recently, we've been trying to focus on more crypto native projects. So this is really attacking DeFi protocols and understanding and learning how to build on core like blockchain protocols. And so that's really been the focus. In terms of like sourcing, it's really just a fluid process every semester we basically just look for different connections we might have and figure out what would be the best opportunities for our members and just build a project around that. That's great. And I'm so interested to hear about this project that you and Paul are working on. So can you walk me through how the idea came about and what the synopsis of the project is? Yeah, absolutely. So actually last summer I was working at Apar as an intern. I was just shocked at how bad their crypto offerings were. They have a four token pair price. So I like ended up building a POC, what it could look like in the system. And the CTO was really interested. And so he heard about Bab. So I actually had a one-on-one -on -one and he basically pitched me this idea back then. And I brought it to Bab and we built up the sourcing for that. But the idea really is to build this, currently the alternative investment space exists like hedge funds, VCs, private equity, everything. And it ends up a lot of the money that's in this space is really from pension funds from retirement accounts. And so it ends up becoming like this tiered system where pension funds might invest in like VCs, which might invest in private equity. And often this deal flows all done behind closed doors, really deep into legal jargon and things like that. So the idea is to code this on a blockchain. So now I can track the ownership and the valuation, transaction history of all these assets. And then more importantly is once we can encode this on a blockchain, we can now build a trading platform around it. So we can increase liquidity for private equity shares and it just radically increases transparency in this rather opaque space. And ultimately, there's going to be data that's written to the Ethereum blockchain? That's currently what we're deciding on, most likely. There's also a few other cool blockchains like Solana, which I think Bank of America recently said could potentially replace Visa in terms of transactions. But yeah, these are things that we're currently looking at. But most likely, since it's a proof of concept, we'll probably build on Ethereum. Is there any privacy concern for adding data onto a public blockchain? Yeah, that definitely is a concern, especially for like these institutional investors. Keeping a tight lip on your portfolio is very important. Currently for this proof of concept, we don't have to worry about that. We're just going to get some anonymized data or some fake data to build this out. But in the future, there needs to be some way of building portfolios on the blockchain where people can actually have private portfolio holdings and not expose that to the rest of the world. Yeah, and what I find so interesting about DeFi and the different concepts of this project that you guys are working on is that when it becomes mainstream, because I, I don't necessarily want to say if I do feel like blockchain is taking the world by storm when we're just trying to figure out the best use case, 
Paul and I are at Haas right now, and obviously there are undergrads at Haas as well as different classes of MBAs. In your opinion, how do you see this all tying together and how can business students get involved in some of the work that you're doing or how does that tie together? Honestly, like before winter break, I wasn't fully sold on like blockchain yet. Once the government stepped in, they released like some kind of paper. I've been working with the Boston Fed. They're actually looking at stuff very intensely and not just abstracting away. This is all scam stuff. How this ends up tying together is the Federal Reserve will probably eventually introduce some kind of central bank digital coin, and that basically legitimizes the space. There will obviously be some like kind of regulatory framework that will be like developed to govern whether or not these tokens are securities or not. And then with building block, probably 99% of the DeFi stuff today won't exist in a few years. But there's that 1% that truly is building some form of utility and building something really cool that I think will actually come out and actually end up building really great protocols that will actually change the world. Can you give a few examples of how you think DeFi and the protocols that are being built today could change the world? We talked a little bit about the unbanked. would love to hear you elaborate. A quick example is compounds or Aave. These lending protocols, there's no credit reports. There's none of that stuff. It's really just bare bones. Like I supply some collateral, I can get a loan and I can go use mm. this. But this expands on everything. So just all of these different systems and protocols that are being built, every person can use it. There's none of these barriers to actually access the system. It's very much built for anyone to use. Can we do a deeper dive onto Compound and understand which blockchain it's running on and the utility that it offers? I know a little bit more about Aave. They're both built on Ethereum and these basically are lending protocols. So I supply some tokens. So let's say I supply DAI, I get like a C token back. So the C token yields interest on it because it's being lended to another party. And that party can like actually end up taking out your DAI and using it for their own purposes. The really interesting thing is a smart contract is built to secure the lender the most. So if it ends up the borrower defaults, the lender can always access their money. And what do you hope to do with the knowledge that you have? So your junior still have one year left of school. What are your plans for this summer? Do you have another internship lined up or just working on the project? And then in a year from now, though, it's always hard to predict a space that moves so quickly. Where do you see yourself going? I haven't finalized an internship for the summer yet, but I think it's really interesting to see how traditional finance might be able to integrate with. I just think out of our project, for example, is just really providing this service for people. Any person can actually go see the business transactions that are being done. And I think how the business world operates where everything's on behind closed doors right now is not beneficial for like the common person that ends up having their money invested, but also it's just really hard to navigate because it ends up whenever you want to go do a business transaction, you have to go find all the lawyers. They need to go find all their books, all the documents. And finally, you can sit at the table and like figure out what to do. So I think that'll increase the speed that transactions can be done and also just increase transparency for everyone. So help me understand a little bit more behind that. So in theory, potentially we could not eliminate lawyers because I don't want to say that outright, yeah. <laughs> but decrease the amount of time spent reviewing contracts, et cetera. Yeah. So you could basically make it where all the contracts are put on the blockchain as well, along with all the transaction flow. And so you can actually follow some like legal entity on the blockchain throughout time and then track out where all their transactions have been. On top of everything else, you're also working on your own project related to something that's really relevant with the fake news that we hear so much about. I just wanted to better understand that content authenticity startup idea. I just really started thinking about this during my freshman internship. I was like working with Raymond Lee at FakeNet AI, who's one of the Skydeck companies. And it just really pushed me in the space and seeing how the problems are. 
And so I think we can all agree misinformation is an issue today. How we're currently trying to solve it is rather algorithmic. Facebook AI created this deep fake detection challenge, and you can only accurately classify those. The best state-of-the-art models can only accurately classify 65% correctly. And then even on the Facebook news, there's different filtering algorithms to make sure they're looking for stuff. But ultimately, stuff always gets through because an algorithm is never perfect. So the idea is to really flip this over on its head. Instead of like labeling what is fake, let's label what is true. This really requires a hardware solution. So on your iPhone, whenever you're like taking a picture, for example, there would be a separate secure enclave on the OS hardware level, where whenever you take a picture, it makes sure that the picture is segmented off by itself and the metadata, where it's taken, when it was taken, all to a blockchain. And so you can imagine now I can take this picture and put it in the web module on a website, which can take the hash and compare it with the blockchain. And so now you can track the history of where a picture was taken from the point it was taken all the way up to whenever it's on the web. And so there's actually this standard being developed by the Content Authenticity Initiative, which is this joint venture between Adobe, Qualcomm, and the New York Times, where they're building standards. So in Photoshop right now, you can already put a picture in, make edits to it, and then get CAI compliant photo. As you can imagine now, I can even track edits through this system. An example is Donald Trump he took a picture of Biden and then added some filtering on it to make him look more veiny. And like that was going with his political agenda of Biden's really old. So on Facebook now, a user could click an eye icon and it opens up this little window and you can like actually track the history of where this picture has gone through. The person will be able to look at the picture and see, oh, this is sus. They did some modifications. But more broadly speaking, this could even be applied to like ownership of photos, right? Because now I have a blockchain address and Ethereum address connected to each photo. And so... Currently, how copyright works today is if I have a photo that someone is ripping off on another website, I have to talk to that hosting server's website and tell them to take that down. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that this is really bad and it's not automated right now. So a way that we can do this differently in the future is a website deployed by an Ethereum address. And if someone happens to go on a website and they find out that you're ripping off a photo and they don't happen to have the NFT representing copyright ownership of this photo, then we can immediately take it off of domain naming systems. This also adds to this, the part where we're basically building to track copyright as well. That's fascinating. What actually popped into my mind too was voice cloning, which we don't necessarily see a lot of, but I feel like it's at the back of every one's mind where I listened to a clip on NPR and they basically, I forget who they took. I don't know if it was Trump. It was some political leader and you could make that voice say whatever you wanted to. Is that something that could also be applied to the blockchain space in the same way from tracking authenticity? This idea of where you would make a fake audio is something that would have to be done on a hardware level. You basically want to make sure that only authorized camera or authorized microphones and there's special hardware that's built in to make this all happen. In the example of a voice maker, cloner, you could basically flag that, oh, this software we've never heard about, it's running on this microphone, but we're not really sure what this is. So then you can flag it as fake and it never gets appended to this blockchain at all. Fascinating. And so this is something that's being called spearheaded by, you said Qualcomm, New York Times, Adobe. And then you have a team here at Berkeley that you're building and recruiting for? Yeah. So I'm definitely looking for a lot of people. This requires concerted effort on a lot of avenues, business and hardware, also just software building on the blockchain as well. So if like anyone's interested, I would love to talk to them. My email is just jamesmdai at berkeley.edu. And that's DAI, like the stable coin? Yeah, <laughs> DAI, like the stable coin. I wanted to jump back a little bit to the AMM discussion because I know we just glossed over it. And one of the key concepts is about liquidity pools. And there's a lot of really high yield farming that are offered things that are over a thousand per APY. 
I know there's some risks. So there's just a lot to talk about, even in permanent loss. Any of these things would be interesting to discuss further. I don't know if we're allowed to be talking about this, but the osmosis project is trying to work on that. Basically how AMMs are built today is there's an impermanent loss that you suffer through whenever there's high volatility. So how like traditional market makers end up counteracting this is increasing spreads dramatically whenever volatility increases. So this ensures that they have a lower risk profile whenever they end up collecting assets. But on an AMM level, there's no sense of a spread. So what you can do is maybe you can use transaction fees to force liquidity down. And so this allows to get the same sense of increasing spread on a traditional market maker. And so that's actually one of the projects currently being done in BAB as well, which is led by Timothy Guo and Basil. It's a really cool project. I've been sitting in on a few of those meetings. It's been really interesting just to see what's going on. That's great. So we've talked about a bunch of different parts of the DeFi side, some of the bit of tracking. What else are you looking at and exploring and from the blockchain side of things? Yeah, honestly, I've been also really looking into the CBDC area, central bank digital coins. This is ultimately what's going to legitimize the space, I feel like. I know it goes against the ethos of blockchain and DeFi, but ultimately to make these things happen, the average person is not going to trust these kind of tokens until the government puts their weight behind. It. So I think actually bringing CBDC that can actually do a lot more things. This would actually greatly improve the Federal Reserve's monetary policy abilities. And I think that would actually be really interesting as well. Is that similar to what El Salvador has done in terms of making Bitcoin like a legal tender? That's a bit different. El Salvador basically just took like Bitcoin and said that this is money, but it's not implemented. Their apps like have issues as well. But I think you want to build like a token that's actually built for an economy. It needs to be something that's scalable. There is no way like coffee transactions are going to be done on Bitcoin. So just like a coffee example, you have to wait for three block confirmations. So that's around 30 minutes. And I'm not going to be standing mm. at Starbucks for half an hour just for my coffee. <laughs> so it just definitely needs to be a token that's actually built for the modern economy, which is like also supported by the yeah, so it's almost like maybe in today's economy and today's crypto, these cryptos aren't necessarily meant for everyday transactions, but transactions potentially that have more meaning and weight behind them. Exactly. I also wanted to highlight that El Salvador is not only accepting Bitcoin as legal tender, but they've also started to issue Bitcoin bonds, which I believe they're the first to do. And that's highly unusual. And some other trends that we see are Wyoming and Arizona already accepting Bitcoin as legal tender and with Colorado interested to do. So these are some interesting macro trends we see within the crypto space. Yeah, that's great. And James, you had mentioned in our chat earlier that you are working with the Federal Reserve. So would love to hear more about that. Yeah, actually, just one of the guys at the San Francisco bank actually emailed Bab. Is there any potential collaboration? So I actually brought him in and they're basically discussing on bringing this into a formal lab setting in Berkeley. So it would be really cool to work maybe on the inner workings of a CBDC. Prototype has already been built with MIT. It's this Boston Hamilton project. There's a GitHub repo where you can actually read it. But something similar brought over to Berkeley would be really cool. So Berkeley students can work on it. And also there's just a lot of interesting things being built, like climate change related tokens and other more sustainability. So it's really exciting. How does a climate change token work? Yeah, so this could be like water rights tokens. I know Colorado River is having a mm. really big problem right now. Is yeah. a lot of farmers fighting over these things. And so if you can have a token that actually represents like like a cube of water or something, but basically if you can represent that and maybe trade that, that would also help alleviate the situation. Yeah. I think Australia does something like that around purchasing and selling of water rights. So super interesting. 
Yeah. I'll just like say a few things about central bank digital coins is if we can adopt a CBDC that works and we can build a core logic into it, for example, now transactions are all in one place, right? The existing, how the financial space works is they're all data and all these fragmented systems. And it's really hard to create one balance sheet. And that's why accounting do a lot of work. But whenever you have all these things in one space, for example, due diligence is what if we could build an algorithm that just goes through all the company financial transactions and looks for problems. But even more importantly is now if I have a CBDC, I can use this for monetary policy reasons. I know a huge topic right now is inflation, right? And the Fed currently has lagging data about two months on inflation data. But what you could immediately know now is a company is selling a product to some consumer. You could literally just have this on a blockchain level and then aggregate this to the Federal Reserve. So then these monetary policy decisions can be made on a more real-time basis rather than on our two months trailing. So that I think is also a really good use case. And so you could use this for inflation data, but you could also use this during the pandemic, right? Like the airlines got absolutely destroyed because they just did not have enough cash flow working for them. So maybe you could add stimulus and more targeted stimulus to different companies or individuals that are going through a bad time. I find it interesting that there are now cryptocurrencies that are representing effectively carbon removal. So you can have one ton of carbon removal that's represented by essentially an NFT token on a blockchain. But what are your thoughts? Is that a good practice? It's an interesting thing where as a company, you can be carbon neutral, but it's really because you're just loading up on these tokens. Yeah, I think the carbon credits thing was an interesting thing. There already exists carbon credit trading systems in, I think, Europe. But mm -hmm. ultimately, a market's going to form whenever companies need them. And these large institutions can't just switch over to carbon neutral instantaneously. So I think the carbon credit system is good for now. Not necessarily has to even like implement it on a blockchain. It can be just how it is in Europe. But the idea is increasingly penalize companies for not doing something about climate change. And I think that's an excellent idea. That's great. James, anything else that you want to share about your startup and what your hope is for it for the future? Team is just me right now. I'm just looking for maybe co-founders or other people to work with this on. The main thing I'm really looking for is like someone very strong in hardware. Those people are like increasingly rare here at Berkeley and just having a great team that's excited about this. This idea could potentially scale infinitely almost because you're basically building a platform for authentic photos and videos, but this could even move forward in text-based stuff. So maybe a government mm -hmm. uploads some kind of PDF or some report, and maybe we can use a zero knowledge proof to build off that data and as a citation that could also be added in the future. Truly, I think this just fundamentally reshapes how we think about the internet It increases the ability to people that have ownership over their photos and videos, but also it just makes things more transparent. Like you see things from where they came from. So if there's anyone really interested, please reach out. I love that. And I think one question I always ask entrepreneurs that I haven't asked you yet is what drew you to start your own? I know it sounds like Boston has something similar that they're working on and there's a couple of different companies in the space that have pulled the foundation together. But what brings your passion to the table? Honestly, the main thing is moving from Texas to California. These are two different worlds, each side that kind of hates each other a bit. And I feel <laughs> like this political atmosphere we've created is almost intolerable. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand why. Why do we have to bicker so much about these things? And I think fundamentally, it's because we look at different news sources, we look at different things. And that's why we have these bifurcated views of what things should be. And often I feel like most problems, really the solution is like a middle ground solution. It's not something you have to go on polar opposites to. 
go about. So I really hope that maybe projects could help alleviate that just a bit. That's a great point. James, we have to have you explain how dye is able to remain so stable over time. <laughs> I also don't know about this dye coin. So first you're gonna have to explain what it is. <laughs> I personally sign off on them. <laughs> <laughs> is this dye coin, is this like a Bitcoin? Yeah, it's basically just a token. So you basically put up some collateral to back your token. And so they mint a die for all the collateral you backed up. So the system is always over collateralized. I think it's like 150%. So the moment your collateral drops below the dollar peg, they will liquidate your, that's just to make sure that the bookkeeping is always staying at the dollar. This is the first example of a stable coin that was introduced and it basically brings out this decentralized stable coin and made it possible. Got it. Versus there are definitely a lot of coins out there now that are worth 10 cents to the dollar. And the market cap today is about just over 10 billion. So pretty stable. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, James. We really appreciate you coming in to share your experience through BAB for semesters. And with your new startup idea, focus on content authenticity. So definitely, if anybody's listening that's interested, give a shout out. And I look forward to continue working with you through BAB as we deliver for Adapar. Thanks so much for clarifying some of these DeFi topics in particular. Of course. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for explaining things to me. We'll definitely link a bunch of the different stuff that you mentioned today and hopefully help you recruit some team members. Yeah, that'd be great. Again, you can hit me up on LinkedIn or my email is just jamesmandiaberkeley.edu. Really great meeting you. It was really great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Around the Block at Haas. If you're interested in a specific blockchain topic, please email us at haaspodcasts with an S at berkeley.edu. Until next time, this is Paul. And this is Paulina, and we'll see you around the block.